I know it's not the night you had in mind, but why don't you guys stay and play with us? It'll be fun. It, fun? Yeah, okay, three weeks ago you bought crunchy peanut butter, but now you want the girls to play D&D. Do you have a drug problem? What's the big deal? Raj bailed so we could use some extra players. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons with girls before. Oh, don't worry, sweetie. No one has. What do you say? I'll leave it up to the Dungeon Master. And at the time that Corlandia started, the city was concentrating on being sustainable. a really fun, awesome, interesting place. Everyone I met that had moved here like this, nobody Everyone that had moved here, they moved here because it was cheap and it wasn't popular. It was part-time and, you know, being a band and all these great things. You could live in a cool house in a really awesome neighborhood just because it was, it was cheap. And then January 2011, Portland landed that And it was kind of like a flare sitting up in the air. It let the whole country know, hey, this is a cool place. This is a place you need to pay attention to. And the New York Times and travel magazines and all the magazines and newspapers were doing stories about how Portland was such an awesome place. This is the hip, new, hip place to be. And it really changed the people that moved here. Right before Portland, people moved here because it wasn't popular. After Portland, People moved here because it was popular. They were moving here because this was the in place to be. The lunatic dwarf just had to go and bash in a door, opening Pandora's box of bloody spiders while the dying half-elf decided to bleed all over our treasure. Welcome to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you 12-sided die-carrying, slapping bass guitar along to Nightcore in your bedroom, Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. We're getting awfully close to Halloween. And I, for one, simply cannot wait to spike candy dapples with DMT and introduce the children in my neighborhood to the grand, purple lady. What will you be doing to celebrate? Shaming people into voting? Dressing up as a guy who owns an Apple Watch? With a heritage leather strap forged in the flames of a Pacific Northwest forest fire? Come at me, you coward. This week on the podcast, we've got Portland artist Tabitha Nikolai, who was generous enough to spend some time with us discussing her recent solo exhibition, Utopia Without You, at Williamson Night Gallery in Portland. And we've got some news for you about how to throw your support at humor and the abject, for a measly pledge of just $3 per month. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 87 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Brown-leafed vertigo, where skeletal life is no own. I remember Halloween. It is so fucking spooky out there that I can barely stand it. And you know what else is spooky? 87 episodes of this here podcast. Why is that spooky? I don't know, but... The number 87 looks occult as fuck to me. Okay, now, here's an ask. 
A lot of you have been supporting Humor in the Abject on Drip, but I have an appeal for you. I am moving the subscription content over to Patreon, and I would love it if you'd join me. There was an announcement this week that Drip is undergoing some big changes in the next year, changes that do sound super exciting, but the thing is, until all of that is finalized, there won't be any developments in the realm of features on the platform. I've been waiting for a custom subscriber-only RSS feed on Drip for a while now so that you could listen to the exclusive audio that I post on there in the same place that you're probably listening to this right now. And I've also been hoping that there would be a really great subscriber app, but it's not clear when either of those things are going to happen on Drip. And it turns out, dear Screedlers, that Patreon already has the, the, the. Both of those? Uh, I know, because I back podcasts on Patreon already. Um, to entice you over to Patreon, I've dropped the monthly subscription down to a single tier of just three bucks. That's like throwing three quarters at me for each episode you listen to per month, and even less when I release bonus episodes. I've been making a ton of new sound pieces. Uh, people on Drip already have been getting to listen to those. I've migrated them over to Patreon, uh, and I'm going to be releasing even more patron-only content at patreon.com slash humor and the abject. That's patreon.com slash humor and the abject. Plus, all new patrons are going to get five bonus tickets for the November Custom Sound Collage Lottery. The October piece is going to be featured on the next episode, so you'll get a little taste of what exactly those sound like. And if you migrate over from Drip, if you already are subscribing there, and you migrate over to Patreon with me, you'll keep all the tickets you've already accrued for the months that you've been signed up. How's that for a deal? In the world of Fidelity, we call that a lossless format. I don't know if that makes any sense. If you've been meaning to subscribe for a while but didn't like that Drip's logo was blue, uh, you're now out of excuses because Patreon's is kind of a burnt orange, which is pretty classy. Uh, if you like what I make, help me out. I really love doing this thing, and I love that I can keep it ad-free every single week. So, let's get moving. On this week's episode, I've got artist Tabitha Nikolai joining me from Portland, Oregon, where I used to live. Uh, we've known each other for years, and she just did this awesome solo exhibition, Utopia Without You, at Williamson Night Gallery in Portland. I'm a huge fan of Tabby's work. I'm also an owner of some of Tabby's work. Uh, her stuff includes sculpture, performance, text, gaming, and more. It was such an honor to catch up with her and talk about all kinds of things from the show to life in general. Thanks for listening, and extra thanks to those of you who decide to subscribe for $3 a month on Patreon right now. The link is in the episode description. Here's my conversation with Tabitha Nikolai. Tabitha Nikolai, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, geez. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's so beautiful to be here. I've been meaning to invite you on for a while, so I'm glad that this worked out. And part of, the, part of what refreshed my memory that I wanted to ask you to be on was that you are pretty fresh off a recent solo exhibition that was called Utopia Without You at uh, Williamson Knight Gallery in Portland, Oregon, where you are located, where you live and work. Mm -hmm. And that installation... It had uh, sculpture, assemblage, uh, this video game and kind of like DIY console controller setup that you had made. Um, and so the title, Utopia Without You, you know, to me, it suggests 
hopefulness, but also isolation. And I wanted to ask how you came to settle on that title and what you wanted it to communicate to somebody coming into the show. Yeah, you know, the show has like so many sort of like vibrant and poppy elements, this like light up gaming, custom gaming computer that I made. But I think the title comes from um, going through like pretty profound periods of isolation and knowing, you know, a lot of other uh, trans women who are likewise really kind of isolated, um, you know, Mm -hmm. especially now, timely, timely conversation. Um, yeah, that was uh, not planned, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of, how do you, I don't know. I would know. be it's, fucked I, if that was planned of you, Sean. No, and yeah, I, I leaked it to the Trump <laughs> administration that we were going to do this. Sorry, I was interrupting no, you. No, no, you're fine. The, isolation. The, the rise of fascism presents many, uh, many, you know, narrative hooks for, for talking about all kinds of things. Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, about one of the big outcomes of that kind of thing is just this like heightening of a, of a chilling effect. And, you know, I know a lot of people who really just like don't even leave their house particularly. And, you know, they, they Mm -hmm. play games and that can be really great. And that can be really uh, enfranchising in some ways, but um, you know, maybe not like certainly not politically effective uh, and, and not great for renewing the social fabric um and so you know it's this utopia in a sort of personal at times individually actualizing or or re refurbishing way um that i think that i think a lot of maybe trans women can identify with as being you know utopic sort of isolated space but at the same time like that has a that has a bad dimension to it too and i'm i'm kind of habitually a an ambivalent devil's advocate person so like seeing the power of that and then seeing the contrast of that um, is part of it. And it comes off of like doing, I'd done a body of work before in this like sort of queer science fantasy post cataclysmic worlds building kind of project, um, that was all about like separatism. There was this, it was this like fiction that I'd written about a creature called a soy borg, which was this like, <laughs> um, <laughs> these, these soy boys, um, like these soy borgs that, um, in this like post cataclysmic future, these like trans women who get their their estrogen through phytoestrogens and soybeans because that's like what there would be after the fact, and so the piece was called uh, "Sick Transsex Gloria," and it was about this like soyborg field agent that dies and like her death and transmigration of souls, and so just thinking about like you know separatist sects and then like you know this this creature like dying and what is their afterlife so i've just been like thinking about separatism in a lot of different ways or isolation in a lot of different ways and this is like another kind of iteration from that but maybe more grounded in like physical world stuff than fantasy world stuff yeah that makes sense i think that you know this uh this idea of utopia and as you're saying like or or writing fictions that are post cataclysmic or post apocalyptic however people want to kind of mm-hmm. discuss them it was just you know as i was ruminating on the title for the show um in the just the word utopia i was remembering these constant discussions in art mm-hmm. school where you know someone starts to talk about utopia and then there's a faculty member or kind of like a theory nerd who has to jump in and sort of you know well actually and say so, you know etymologically mm-hmm. uh, it's from the greek translating to not a place a utopia is impossible and uh, <laughs> you and i went you and i were groomed in the same halls of academia we both went to pnca albeit at different times but yeah. we went to the same program and 
So I'm curious, because we came out of that same context, if you were poking at that at all, this kind of like, well, you know, it's not a place, right? Like <laughs> that factored into deciding on that title at all or not. Yeah, I mean, like groomed is definitely the word for it. And I was probably (laughs) definitely I was definitely that asshole um, that probably would have said stuff like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it comes out of it comes out of the untenability of that as a space. Um, And so maybe it's like, you know, partly it's like, yeah, wanting to make wanting to make like a utopia or to think about that as like a flawed construct, but also like wanting to make these like little, these little pocket worlds that people can be in and that being like, you know, a space for other possibilities to emerge. Mm. Um, you know, even if it's not like this full blown sort of utopic vision, um, trying to see. You doing a little research there. Yeah. Like, I mean, (laughs) I think I think there's part of it too that's like like the the popular picture of utopia is this like you know sort of shining city on a hill where everybody gets along mm. but like you know that's not really like that's not really doable for for trans people with like you know cis people for the most part right now and that's where like some of the the sort of like malaise towards liberalism comes in because I think like yeah. we're all like we are all every goddamn one of us i imagine you know human being um is probably pretty pretty jaded about techno utopianism and that kind of like mm. silicon valley thing right now after everything that's happened and just like sitting with sitting with the effects of the internet um so wanting to like poke at that a little bit yeah the kind of idea of that it's funny you said um you know most of us and that i'm going through my brain though thinking of you know the sect of people who absolutely have not become disenchanted with kind of techno utopianism and now who are those people how infuriating they are i'm thinking of like sort of well they're usually people of immense wealth i feel like who are kind of tethered to uh tethered to tech and so even if they don't believe it themselves they're evangelizing for kind of digital techno utopianism to Mm -hmm. try to get people on board with their vision of what connectivity is going to look like and i mean i think it'd be you know rehashing or redundant for either you or i to sit around and talk about how a technology has brought us closer but also pushed us further apart you know yeah (laughs) right right it's like pretty clear that that's what's going on um But in terms of like, uh, in terms of another, you know, kind of utopia, specifically what I would call a failed liberal utopia, uh, which is the city of Portland, (laughs) uh, where you live and work and where I previously called home. Um, Obviously, where you make work is going to influence the work, you know, the Mm -hmm. the place that you're living your day to day life. But did anything as a as you're approaching this project, was there anything particular that you thought of as kind of specific for the Portland audience? you know, for better or worse, I mean, you have a, you have an audience who does like art, who is interested in coming to these things, but also an audience who oftentimes, you know, uh, I think rightfully so has become sort of a punchline in terms of feel good liberalism without any kind of, kind of like a, so what liberalism, you know what I mean? Like, okay, great. You're against racism. Now what? Yeah. Like can be very self-congratulatory, very like box checking, um yeah i think you know i don't know for this audience 
I mean, I've definitely been preoccupied for a long time now, you know, coming out of work that I was making before with like aesthetics that are at the the intersection of like wood elves in a fantasy sense and crust punk and like depicting wood elves as these like sort of crust punk creatures. And those are both pretty like Northwesty things. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so in the... <laughs> I'm just sorry, it's like unfolding in my brain as you're describing this, yeah. I enjoy it unfolding in my brain too. Um, and so <laughs> like, um, you know, in this show, there was like this, there's like what to explain. There's this like sculpture that was um, made of a plastic uh, miniature from a game called Warhammer Age of Sigmar, which is like a, like a tabletop battle game. You have your like, army of Mm -hmm. critters and like wizards and like you know your little scenic like diorama you know like for a miniature train kind of setup probably people know what this is but it's like um you know she's like this like wood elf like high priestess riding a like a gargantuan battle beetle um and then like rebuking these two like you know techno skeleton dudes um and so you know this was partly just like an allusion to because the aesthetics are really similar to like world of warcraft stuff of this like you know Mm. high level you know power leveled character with all these like you know weird radiant wings and like you know cool particle effect kind of stuff radiating from them and but it's like okay this talks a little bit maybe about like you know silicon forest and mastery over nature vice versa and the whole thing is like situated on this like uh pallet wood table and like people here love reclaimed wood stuff so there's like <laughs> a sort of a jab at that that also relates to just like having a, a you know a room set up that's just made of trash furniture because it's like just my furniture from my space anyway mm-hmm. um so there was that but i've done i did a show before that was like um that was like a full like portland pop-up shop like reclaimed wood edison bulbs air plants like full like dispensary Wait, where aesthetics. was it? when was this you <laughs> this did is, this i did this this is in 2015 oh, I don't know about this. this is in 2015 okay. um and i had this like fictitious corporation called dynamic horizons limited that i ran that would always like you know it was its own like dynamic you know, horizons limited <laughs> yeah exactly and so it's <laughs> a good name it would always like be something different like one time it was a corporate training manual and that was like a D manual and then this time it was like this like totally cliche pop-up shop thing with like you know the x-shaped like monogram logos that were like recursive into themselves maybe we can put pictures on your website or something maybe to help explain yeah, yeah. people or link Happy it to. or whatever um but yeah and they're like so in this spot you know i got this like grant to do these like 3d prints for that show that were these like um you know these like collages of like various wearable technology so like you know mm-hmm. a nintendo power glove wearing an apple watch with like a fitbit on its finger and then like mm-hmm. growing into like weird body parts and stuff like that so just thinking about like upgrade culture and planned and perceived obsolescence like in conjunction with this like totally gross like volkish americana that like never really was that we are so desirous of um and that those things like the heritage brand of that lives like side by side with like always wanting new shit yeah that's funny it's such a well yeah as you're explaining this i'm thinking about this kind of this fetishism for the handmade while also i mean this this it's a very unique kind of consumer right um and i think like typically a liberal one and 
And it also, much like a, a crust punk elf, is also very Pacific Northwest. I mean, a person who simultaneously has the latest wearable tech, but also like, you know, their their pants are a very specific type of handmade <laughs> denim and like the leather and the reclaimed furniture and stuff. That's really kind of like a, yeah, it's a little, it's a weird mind fuck. It's kind of an interesting thing to choose, um, you know, which things you're going to be faux classic about and which things you're going to be like faux futurist about but i guess you know if you, if you got the money why the fuck not <laughs> yeah i guess so i guess so <laughs> um I, so in another piece that was in the show and mm-hmm. and i'll admit that i'm i'm pretty uninformed when it comes to kind of like the mechanics of gaming culture um could you describe the the game that you made for the exhibition like what does a player experience and also you mentioned earlier that you kind of um that you had sort of fabricated or designed the platform that one plays it on. So what, what is, what is the game and how did you, I, I feel like an idiot asking this, but like, how did you make a game in <laughs> a, a console? How did you even I, make I'm a sure game? I'm sure there's yeah. a better, I'm sure there's no. a better way to ask. I feel like it was it in the news the other day. Somebody was asking Jared Kushner, you know, how did you, how did you wind up in this job, man? You know, and it's like, <laughs> what kind of question is that? But I hope mine is a little more sincere, you You're- know, and not as, uh, not as <laughs> cynical. <laughs> I really do. I don't know how you make a video game. <laughs> so I'm asking. Your question is <laughs> fucking great, Sean. You ask great questions. And um, I wish that I was oblivious to the mechanics of gaming culture um, because it can be like so nightmarishly toxic and stuff. You can't close Pandora's box. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like Discord is just always like blooping out, you know, new horrible things at me. Um, oh my God. No, like. Like, I don't, uh, like, it's hard, it's always, like, weird and hard to talk about games in, like, an art context, and, like, I don't even play, like, too many games anymore, like, both because I don't have tons of time for that, and because, you know, again, they're, like, super toxic places and, like, super, like, addictive and all-consuming, and I just know Mm -hmm. from, like, my wiring as a kid, like, growing up playing those things, I would be, like, fully, like, enmeshed back into it, and, like, it's hard to explain because, like, it would be an incredibly, um, it would be an incredibly dissatisfying uh, gaming experience for anyone who actually does play games because partly I don't know how to design games, um, not in like a real meaningful sense, and I'm also just like not in it to make those things. I'm there to use the tools to make experiences that can be like, I don't know, other other kind of stuff, other kind of things, and um, so this experience in particular, like, or this like this art thing, whatever, uh, that I made this game for this is designed to be like a bit more like retinal because a lot of art people just like don't have the manual dexterity to play video games. Uh, they just like bonk into stuff and that's, that's its own experience (laughs) and fine. So I wanted to like make something that like, just like this just like plays into that like tendency. So, um, there's like a screen, and on the screen, there's like this little, like this little planetoid, this little asteroid thing. And there's like structures on it. And there's like, you know, weather orbiting around it and clouds and like satellites. And like, there's all different kind of like stuff that's just sort of happening before your eyes. And you can like control that asteroid. You're like, your eyes, your camera is in like a fixed position, like God's eye view mm-hmm. orbiting over it. And you can control it by like uh spinning this this like this big trackball that i made out of like an acrylic sphere with like a potion inside it and that like in turn orbits the the thing on screen that's all running off of this like 
um, this aquarium PC that I made, which was like a fad of like the, um, you know, maybe the early 2000s where, um, you know, people have all probably seen like water cooled PCs where there's like, you know, mm-hmm. a refrigeration system that like pulls heat off the GPU. But it was like a fad for a while to just like, subs like dip your whole computer in like mineral oil and then pump it out into a radiator because it like you know would like hot rod that thing even faster which i think is pretty dubious and like super messy but um but felt like a fun (laughs) thing to do that like talked about these like tiny worlds within worlds and um yeah and so you know you don't really have any control like the scenes change in the game over over like random periods of time um so there's like a there's like a glacial ice age world there's like a a rainy sort of like mossy world there's like a you know like a trash fire world where you can like roll this burning cop car around on the planet <laughs> while like smoky right. trash fires burn and um there's uh there's like a dust a dust world and so it's just like kind of a nod to like you know video game world aesthetics in general but also like a nod to um i don't know this like dumb series of hr geiger paintings that i was really into where he just like paints the back of a garbage truck and like all these different like frost realm you know rust realm all of that kind of thing and Um. then um like also trying to like i think see in like a more like geological time of just like letting letting the you know awful moment like wash over you that sometimes like that's that's just what you have is that like okay time is going to pass and you can do whatever to like you know be restorative and you know things things will change regardless of like what you have to do with them how they change you know that's like more of a neutral thing but you know to try to just see in a bigger scope of time because things are awful in like trash fire cop car moment yeah do you would you imagine that game existing anywhere else besides um very specifically in that exhibition with that particular setup or is this something that you would have interest in people encountering or being able to access on a web platform or something or is it kind of is it meant really to be in the show i think it all like when i at the show we were selling um like limited edition flash drives with the game on it to raise money oh, for it. for trans lifeline um which we still have some left so if people want they can get at me about it but um yeah so i'm okay like and then it's you know it's weird doing like the longer longer form games that i've done before just like way more for like um you know it's almost like better it's bad to like play in a gallery because it's just like you know kind of an ill-suited environment people are just like sure yeah. staring at you you can't really like get Looking comfortable you, and yeah. fall into it like or like <laughs> yeah. waiting for you to like give it up or like i don't know and then just like people don't like maintain them or restart them it's like it's tricky there's tricky stuff to display but um yeah so i think ultimately you know it'll get distributed online and people can play it at home and take more time with it and um a friend of mine rook rook's feather ada rook um did the music for it so we'll want to like distribute it further so her music can get heard as part of it that's cool Mm -hmm. um so when we i mean we met years ago in portland and i i remember the time you were really interested in things that i guess i i perceive as maybe more analog gaming than digital or online gaming and um, that's cosplay and i remember you i think when you first introduced yourself to me you mentioned your D D level or something i might have invented <laughs> that memory but i think but so what it was what way kind more of, cringy i mean it sounds like that, you've been but 
<laughs> I feel like, but it seems like, you know, this isn't, uh, I mean, clearly there are, uh, there's interest in the contemporary art world to kind of say like, oh, um, I'm going to, you know, gaming is culture. And so I'm going to start to like use, I'm going to use uh, the video game as a platform to try to design something up. But this seems like for your, um, much of your life, you've been really interested in just sort of gaming as a pursuit. And I guess what, what draws you to it outside of just the, you know, what we were discussing before, like the mechanics of inventing a realm or something, but what about the the culture that surrounds it or or maybe even i guess the escapism was attractive to you a couple different things i mean i grew up in utah which is like not a really rad place to grow up like a queer trans kind of person and so it was kind of like trying to find anything that would like make the world feel more expansive because it's just like a really small place to be in like a lot of ways and like i wasn't mormon so i didn't really have like community from that which i think you know a lot of people have which maybe can help you but can also be super repressive in its other ways but like um yeah it could go one of two ways i feel like yeah right (laughs) right right um and so like you know i started playing those because it's like oh you can like you know try on facets of yourself you can like you know be some sort of like queer creature or whatever in those spaces and it was also like you know like looking back and like you know the only people by there were some exceptions, but a lot of the times I would play and there were just groups of dudes. And it was interesting because it's like a space for like dudes to like be able to try on like a broader range of emotions because I guess it's like in service to, you know, this epic that there's like, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as we're like killing dragons and shit too, that feels like (laughs) severe enough for people to like be able to like (laughs) get into an emotional range because like Uh that's, that's real and not gay or anything. So it's like, so I think that was (laughs) a draw about it. Just like a space for people to like soften up around each other and to like have a certain sort of like camaraderie or whatever that wasn't allowed in other spaces. Um, Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And like cosplay was part of it too. And I think that's like, you know, that's just like a material, you know, a material extension of that stuff, which probably like it's another sort of thing where it's like, ah, because it has this like fantasy or like, you know, over the top silly layer of it. It's like, it would be weird if I like just dressed up as a regular girl, but if I like cosplay as like Courtney Love and go to the club, or if I like, you know, dress as like some kind of like, you know, vampire creature, Alice in Wonderland or that kind of thing, like suddenly it becomes like, okay, or at least that's like what I told myself. Mm. So, I mean, there's that, like trying to find those like other, you know, thin, thin spaces in social fabric to like let those mores like slip a little bit. You know, there's lots of times that I've been in different cities and most recently here in Austin where there was, uh, you know, a, a Comic-Con going on where there are tons of people cosplaying and a lot of the stuff I recognize. And then some of it, um, I don't recognize. And I, I guess I assume it's either like they've invented a character or it's just something that I'm not familiar with that they're dressing up as, but there's this kind of, um, there's this kind of swagger to it that I just love. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't understand it, but I'm just like, you're just walking down the street dress. I mean, it kind of kicks yeah. ass, you know, like, yourself. I'm just like, you're just, <laughs> Yeah, and in these really elaborate, awesome things that I, I'm like, I don't <clears throat> have a relationship to. I don't, I don't know if what you're dressed up as is um, a particular anime film or if this is, uh, you know, an American comic book that I don't know about or if this is some movie I just don't know came out or something like that. But just like strutting it in like, 
not giving a fuck is yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> like I yeah. really admire that. And the love and the care that goes into it better than I mean fucking better than performance art. <laughs> Come on. For Way real. Better. For real. Like... Way better. <laughs> Much more invested in it. You know, yeah. like I'm like, hey, you didn't spend ten minutes inventing this. <laughs> you really care. <laughs> yeah. I mean like it's been a long time since I've like made time to go to cons and stuff, but I they were really like, you know, powerful times because they're these like I don't know, like, I don't, there's, like, a lot of fucked up stuff about geek culture and, like, the connoisseurship and stuff of that, but, like, you know, at the time, those were people who, you know, based on my limited experience, like, caveat, caveat, I mean, they felt, they felt marginalized, and so it was, like, great to, like, see those people mm-hmm. all just, like, in giant rooms, like, totally feeling themselves and, like, you know, playing filk music and, like, staying up all night watching anime and, like, all that kind of stuff, and there's, like, there's definitely a part of me that, like, thinks to an alternate like tabby trajectory of like oh fuck i should have like dropped out of college and just like gotten really good at drawing on deviant art or that kind of thing because like i really admire those people who it's just like it's kind of their own organic process and there's a lot of people who do game design that like come out of that same kind of thing that it's just like oh they're just in it and like i have a friend who like he seems to make bank tr- just drawing furry porn and that seems to be like a pretty satisfying thing i mean it just seems like there's a lot of like i don't know like there's a lot of like genuine investigations of culture and like development of new like hybrid meanings and things whatever the hell that means i guess that happens there and that's like that's like you're saying it's just like absent so much of the pretense of the art world it being like avant-garde or saying something deep but with like a really like shallow investiture that's more about like you know social navigations than you know doing a thing that like that is meaningful to them. Like a lot of people just want to make, like they want to make art that looks like art rather than something that's like really, that's really like earnestly meaningful to them. I like earnestness. I don't know. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, just in terms of the concept of an avant-garde, I mean, the, the very interesting thing is any insane thing that I can think up that maybe is a scenario between like two somewhat well-known fictional characters Someone mm-hmm. else is already ahead of the curve and has drawn that on DeviantArt. Yeah, and that just right. blows my fucking mind every time. I'm yeah. just like, hey, is there is there erotica about like this fringe character from this like 90s thing? And it's just like someone someone literally is like ahead of me. Like mm-hmm. someone is literally like on the avant-garde of, nope, I already did that. It's, yeah. it's kind of outstanding. And yeah, and there's a... It's, um, I, I think it is the earnestness. That's what's, that's, what's kind of captivating about it is, and I'm sure some people, you know, um, also have a sense of humor about drawing these things. They're probably like, isn't this crazy that I draw this kind of like weird thing or something. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like it is, um, ostensibly kind of devoid of irony. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not, it's not, you're looking at it being like, yeah, but isn't it really that? And it's like, no, no, this is this thing. And yeah, it Mm -hmm. might be funny, but the earnestness that's in there is so, um, I guess it's just kind of, I'm grabbing for the word here, but like, it's kind of pleasant to see that instead of going in and just like, a lot of times, I mean, you know, I'm around and have been in the art world for a long time and I, I still, I go to stuff and I am in a gallery space and I'm just like, man, is this fuck, is this fucking with me? <laughs> like, is this making fun of me? Like, am I supposed to understand what I'm looking at or is yeah. it like, am I stupid for trying to understand it? Like, is that the rub Yeah, that like this actually is meaningless and that's the critique? I don't know. It's so it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I am <laughs> constantly told that the way that I draw looks like deviant art and it's just, it's just, I 
draw because I learned to draw drawing comic books and cartoons <laughs> and stuff. So that's like how I draw. You know, it's not like I'm not trying to be like ironic about outlining things. I'm just like, well, that's how you know where the face ends, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> I want to like seek out your drawings now. And yeah, I'll send like... you some. They're, 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 everything looks everything looks like King of the Hill. Oh, okay. Like, not not on purpose. Like that's just how I draw. <laughs> like, and I'm trying. I try really hard. Like, yeah. But I wanted to ask too about <laughs> if there was any apprehension uh, on your part when you first kind of because you just mentioned, you know, oh man, I could have gone this way or I could have gone this way um, in my past in terms of like what my interests were. But ultimately, you chose to kind of pursue. You know, you decided I'm going to be an artist, and that's where I'm going to put my energy. And also, you do all these other things, but as you're as you're bringing that stuff to art in the early stages of kind of bringing ideas around gaming or those subcultures that do exist outside of contemporary art for the most part were you were you nervous bringing that in and i i guess it's i'm asking from two different perspectives were you nervous okay. because art people are assholes and we're gonna <laughs> shit on it or were you also maybe personally nervous that you're like man this is this thing that i genuinely enjoy and if I bring it into an art context for critique, I'm just going to like make it all filthy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think like it took me a long time to like get to a point where I was like willing to be, you know, super honest with myself about the forms that I was invested in. And those like those, you know, ended up like the focus became that those are like forms that sustained me when I was young and that those are really the kinds of things that I want to like continue to iterate on probably because I didn't do that like deviant art track or whatever. So I'm into that. And I'm like, I think by and large, I mean, it's not that I haven't found it to be the case that like people are going to like shit all over it. Like, I think the art world is like, kind of endlessly thirsty for novelty in a way and so like a lot of the huh, aesthetics of point. Yeah. yeah so like <laughs> a lot of like you know bringing a lot of those aesthetics in they're just kind of like excitedly not sure what to do with it a lot of the time mm -hmm. like whoa what is this and like you know i think there's you know partly a tendency to be like oh we want to like elevate let's like elevate games because that makes sense like you know everything that is low can be high and there's you know mm -hmm. this like weird cyclical you know postmodern thing or whatever about that so i think the that's... mike kellyification of gaming no i don't know whoa <laughs> yeah there's a if you need another graduate thesis it could be that could be a for real that's or if your, i need that's another your one. title yeah yeah just turn just say that you're working on that as your dissertation and then never finish it because that's what you do with the dissertation i feel like but anyway yeah i think so, you're obligated so not, to yeah okay so yeah that makes sense though that not not so like not feeling so timid about how people were going to respond but it sounds like maybe there's i guess through your learned experience that a bit of an apprehension um because almost in a superficial way the art world is like yeah yeah let's see something new let's try this new subculture on for size or something and then mm -hmm. you know they kind of and then they get tired of it and then something else comes along yeah which is like i mean and that plays into i don't know I, maybe or maybe like i'm really behind the curve and i'm like just realizing yeah like how it's going to be like weird and shitty i mean like there was some press for this show recently that was just like written and like some of it was really good but then they went off like you know analogizing like isolation to like being a pedophile or being a serial killer and it was just really like bananas that someone would like go to that like radically 
misinterpretive a space of like what it means to be isolated as as a trans person i think i i we won't we won't call it out but i read that there there was like a weird almost tangential link to a serial yes a serial killer right yeah kind i mean serial killer and tacked like, on at the end yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it was it was just uh... <laughs> bananas i thought it was maybe like it was written anonymously yeah anyway but then that sort of like also dovetailed with like another thing that got written about it just about how like basically i'm paraphrasing but like you know geek culture reigns supreme and like you know kind of how great a thing that is and it's like uh, oh, that, i read like, that too yeah <laughs> portland, portland has a weird thing with art writing as you and i both know um and so like in both of those cases it's like ah uh, you know i'm excited for you to i don't know it's just like there's these multiple layers of non-legibility that happen whether around trans issues and whether about like tech issues that like people are like enthused about but like maybe not really willing to decrypt because they haven't like worked on themselves with it they're just like i guess they're the people you're talking about in some ways that it's like oh yeah tech um so they're excited to see like tech art um so in that way yeah maybe it's just like oh i kind of missed the point but also you know you got to do something to make some money and to like make your art. So yeah, some people are going to like misunderstand that. Do you think that, um, I mean, if we're and so we're talking about, I mean, both in the press release and in, um, a few of the reviews that I read, this was referred to as kind of, you know, sort of like a, a gamer's den in quotes. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, as, as we've talked about here, those are, you know, I think kind of pop culturally perceived as maybe spaces of um, isolation or escapism. And I'm wondering when you decide to sort of replicate that space and open it up for public attendance and scrutiny, um, what are the, what are the primary concerns that are kind of going through your head as you're about to put this space in there? I mean, I, I think you've touched on some of them already about, people sort of reading it incorrectly or getting like Mm -hmm. a superficial read or something like that. But what, um, maybe, maybe concerns isn't the right question. Maybe it's more like what, I mean, what, what would be the best case scenario, you know, when you open up this kind Mm -hmm. of space and say, Hey, come in here, which, I mean, you said it yourself, a lot of art people don't have the dexterity to be gamers, (laughs) which is like, like just the manual kind of whatever. So it might be foreign to them. What do you, what do you want them to get out of it? Yeah. You know, it's like, I think I was like in this most recent show, you know, conscious of the fact that it's much more in like a gallery gallery than places that I normally show. So it's a bit of like a deconstruction of those things. It's kind of like the bare minimum of those things to sketch out the idea a bit in a looser way. Whereas like, you know, in other shows that I'd done, I'd curated something over the summer called Children of Revulsion, which was actually like largely around some of this like similar concerns that was like, you know, how, how like, you know, marginalized folks, particularly trans folks, um, like connect with each other over media. Like you, you create a, a life and a sense of like self and community within media, you know, working on musical tracks, sending them back and forth, working on video games together, sending them back and forth, or just like sharing consumable media or like playing games together online, that kind of thing. And so it was in, you know, much more of like a, like a trash house gamer den kind of setting in the basement of this um gallery here that's now defunct called killjoy collective but there was like a mattress that people could like lay on the floor and like cuddle these homemade stuffed animals and like a couch that people could sit on and like play a bunch of these video games and stuff and then we did like you know like music my friend rainy baker did a show and my friend erica anderson did this like spoken word thing and so you know there it was important that it was much more like 
intimate and that like in that instance people are getting a sense of that intimacy and togetherness and i like it was fun to like explore like what is it like with for people to be able to play a bunch of games together because there were like four games and it was cozy and comfortable for people to do that in that environment whereas this it's just like i don't know to some extent you know i guess it's in bad faith but yielding to the to the gallery environment and just knowing it's like okay well here's what that can look like there um and letting it be consumed a little bit but also maybe trying to like problematize um the act of consumption that it's like okay well here's this thing that you can see but you know what is you know what is your role in you know encouraging these kinds of things or you know what does this mean to you like are you aware that these things are you know maybe illegible to you and why what does that mean that they're illegible yeah well it's it's funny as you're as you're explaining this i'm thinking about you know if you had um, so as, as you mentioned, Williamson Knight is a more formalized gallery space. Um, and am I correct? Is it in, it's in the, it's in Northwest Portland, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, this is like a much more formal space, et cetera. And, but I think the way that you approached it maybe is a, it's a, it's a novel way to solve that problem because had you, had you recreated the similar feeling that you had at yeah. uh, Killjoy Collective, mm-hmm. was it called? Or in any other kind of like more alt space that you would put it in, you know, people would say, oh, this is just <laughs> clusterfuck aesthetics, or this is just, it's really easy to turn a gallery into like a, into like mm-hmm. just a trash room or, or this or that or something. So you kind of find, I mean, you know, I've mm-hmm. only seen the show through the documentation, but it looked like you kind of caught a sweet spot where it managed to be still kind of like, messy and fringy but at the same time you also kind of like it almost felt like kind of like a fuck you like see i can still make all this stuff stand up (laughs) you know like you know what i mean like which i liked like there was a it had a roughness to it but it also it it was technically proficient to the degree that it, it kind of like it kind of like cut both ways. I liked it. I thought that was a smart way to solve it. Cause yeah, if you'd have just thrown shit everywhere, people would just be like, Oh, you know, Tabby mm-hmm. just threw shit all over the gallery. And it's like the kind of considered approach is an interesting way to, I don't think that you were <laughs> bending the knee to the, to the gallery space. I think just kind of solving the, <laughs> solving a riddle basically. Like how do you put this stuff into that space? <laughs> and I guess, you know, and a follow-up question that about this opening the space up is, you know, clearly there's a lot of advocacy in um, liberal circles for the mm-hmm. benefits of visibility um, in relationship to people who experience marginalization. Um, but the, something that I really kind of grabbed onto in the press release for the show uh, was a statement that seems, you know, kind of contrarian to social liberalism's prescriptive optics for lack of a better term. And in the press release, it says, uh, nestled within the velvet trap of the den, there's freedom from visibility, both the threat of violence and the horrors of being consumed like so many ill-digested ally cookies. And I I was really kind of interested in that notion of freedom from visibility. Um, And you kind of touched on it a bit here, but could you extrapolate a little bit on that concept for me? Like that's a really rich sentence about the, you know, freedom from visibility being hidden from the threat of violence but also consumption yeah i mean i think that functions on a couple levels here i mean 
you know, trans people, I think in general, experience the world as like being very hyper visible, even if, even if, you know, they're, they're not for other reasons, you know, they feel, certainly feel hyper visible no matter what. And then that excites all kinds of like, you know, hyper vigilance. And that's like, you know, emotionally, psychically exhausting. So there's like that layer of, you know, the hassle of visibility, but there's like, there's, you know, the the trickiness of visibility in that a lot of times the people who want to be you know liberal allies want want to sort of like wear you is that you become a lifestyle accessory and i've definitely encountered that in in doing some shows where you know on the one hand like it's really great that people are willing to like give platform and like let a person do whatever they want but you know a lot of times that comes without any like meaningful shifting of resources, um, you know, to change the, the conditions that people live in. But then also, you know, I've definitely, it's like if someone is there to do the work to, um, you know, to have a conversation about, you know, these issues that like really affect people. I've just had any number of situations where people clearly actually weren't that engaged in the content of, of learning about those issues. And that's sort of like a bit back to, I guess, the failed, the failed liberal utopia of Portland and, um, you know, those, those letdowns in general that, and techno utopian letdown where like, you know, so many people have done the trans 101. So many people have done that and that material is out there. And like, you know, Cat Black is really amazing and people should go watch your videos, but they don't, um, you know, people, they're, they're kind of just into checking boxes. And if you, you know, you have a project or, you know, you're doing discussion series or, you know, you're, you're letting people into your space. You kind of just want to like have let them in and do their thing. And I don't know how, like, I guess that's what I mean by ill digested, that there's not really like a lot of, a lot of reflection on like mm. the content there. And it sucks because I think, and it's hard, it's like, it's hard for me to want to say anything like critical about like hashtag trans culture or whatever right now because of things that are happening. But it's hard because a lot that like tendency for people not to, not to learn and not to do homework, I think it tends to trap a lot of trans people in endlessly doing trans 101 in lieu of like getting on with their lives or self-actualizing or, you know, developing more like deeper level culture among one another because they're kind of endlessly wanting to like explain this to people who, you know, who won't listen and who it won't be explained for. And I also think there's things that happen in like just web culture that like that's seen as like the aspirant performance that's like, oh no, the way you do this is to educate where there's something that has to happen where people just like, there comes a point where it's not, you can't just be here to educate. Yeah, yeah. And and especially if you're working with a, um, and I'm not saying that the, I'm not pointing at the spaces yeah. that you've worked with, but I can, yeah, yeah. on a zoomed out, you know, outside of your individual experience, but yeah, the idea of a gallery or a space or particularly like larger institutions, museums and things like that, that um, it, it almost feels to me like it's like brokered wokeness. Oh um, boy, yeah. That the, pl- it's like, it's literally like, you'll get a lot of visibility from the project. I mean, that's like the language, the actual language it's used so often, but, but yeah, it is, it's a fucking conundrum that it's like, yeah, great. I mean, there's more representation in these spaces, but as you pointed out, what are the material Mm -hmm. resources that come afterwards? And what is, what is the benefit besides kind of like, Hey, 
look, we showed X, Y, and Z. Right, and we met right. a quota for the year of these, um, all these different types of people, you know, that we had in this in in our programming or something. But yeah, to to what end for the individual who, you know, like you said, is psychically on edge yeah. at all times. It's a um, it's a weird it's a weird system that's set up, and it's like it's hard. It becomes very hard then to trust a lot of languages around you know wokeness and that sort of performative ally stuff because i think a lot of times those languages are really just used to get access to marginalized people and to capitalize on to gain the social capital yeah. that comes from doing that to their own ends and you know it's just like sometimes some of the most awful things uh, have been said to me in galleries and you know that kind of environment because people are they're only willing and then they're only willing to surround themselves with people who are willing to and at least in the case of trans people like do trans 101 that that those become the people that are like the de facto mm -hmm. representatives and that becomes like further stymieing and it, it just like keeps everybody from like deepening a conversation because that's how they think that they're checking a box and being helpful yeah and they have very um not all the time but often um what i've seen is very warped expectations about the people that they bestow the gift upon to utilize their space that the the owners of the space or this or that are like you know, not outwardly, but kind of in the subtext, a little disappointed that the work wasn't more yeah, about the person's yeah. identity, you know, yeah. like this kind of shit, like, and the art, God, the art world's such a perfect, like, wolf in mm -hmm. sheep's clothing for that shit, because it, so much of it is, so much of the brokerage outside of just, you know, this <laughs> brokerage of wokeness, but so much of it is about social capital and exchange and, like, doing each other solids and propping each other up and all these things, but... Yeah, it, it permits a lot of really kind of um, shitty behavior and exploitation. Um, but that that's yeah. all pretty heavy. I wanted to ask about a, a cool sculpture in the show, too. <laughs> Let's talk um, about cool sculpture. Which was called, uh, which was called V612. And it's this like, it was on um, sort of like a wall, uh, a wall pedestal or shelf, I guess. A wall yeah. pedestal is called a shelf. <laughs> it's on a shelf. <laughs> Um, but it's this like asteroid kind of sculpture. Um, and I, is, is B612, is that from the little prince, that novella that's, I was like, where does that, I felt like I'd heard that reference before. And then I was like Googling it and I was like, oh, the, the novella, the little prince, you know, and I was, really yeah, that's, that's what it's from. Um, it sort of felt like a nice shorthand again for like, you know, growing up in like a relatively small place that it's like, oh, you know, you only got your like couple volcanoes to clean out and you got to get, you know, the trees that are just like, you know, they keep growing and you just like live on your little world that has its like little teensy ecosystem. So that felt apt. But there's also something in it for me that was like, you know, on the planet there's this like you know he's like taking care of this little rose which is this like sort of shorthand for being i don't know you see it a lot with like white trans women these sort of like trans damsels and like needing to kind of like i don't know get past your own aspiration to like white womanhood um and all the all the grossness that that mm. entails and is embodied by you know that character in the book and then kind of like learning to adult properly you know without your like it's, uh, you know, I guess it's like a cheesy, it's a cheesy connection to this like children's book or whatever. Yeah, the items, the items, um, this kind of like Katamari Damasi like agglomeration of stuff. Like I was going through, what's the succinct way? Like, I don't know, like I made a lot of bad decisions about um, quitting. I quit a job. <laughs> I quit teaching a year or so ago. That's more than. 
Tabby, that's more than most people can say <laughs> about their decisions. So I want to say, I want to express admiration for that's, just even <laughs> saying that because I don't ever, I never find that's the process of adulting that. that I'm speaking of is the operative rose, rose <laughs> metaphor. Um, yeah. So I'd like quit. I'd like gotten it in my head that I was going to just like, I was going to be able to like make it living on my art money um, because there was like an updraft of career and that was like really misguided. And then I quit teaching for a while to just kind of like, you know, do, try and do that. And then I couldn't do that. And then that put a like a lot of weight on different relationships in my life, which caused me to like not really have like a good place to live. And then like, I was like, you know, this like kept woman for this other person and that ended up being a bad idea. So it's just like, it was a succession of bad ideas, uh, that are condensed into this short story. But then I got this, um, I got this job working as this like personal assistant for this lady and then like doing freelance art handling. So I was finally like able to like rent a room again after like just kind of free floating around between mm -hmm. here and like other places in Oakland and stuff. And, so then I like had a room for the first time in forever and I'm just like kind of like really transfixed by like intimate bedroom space and like the way you can like build pocket worlds with people in those spaces and so it was like nice to just be able to have like trash babe friends over and just like eat taco bell and you know i live right next door to a convenience store so just getting like junk food and ice cream and like cheesy potato chips and like soda and you know smoke blunts and hang out in a room and that sort of like just you know congealed just like crystallized into this like you know gross little like rock of of like trash that we'd made together and then it just felt like a visual visual rhyme to the asteroid yeah. in the in the sculpture or asteroid in the the game rather yeah yeah well and also that don't people say when they go into when they go into a room that's like trash like it looks like an asteroid <laughs> hitting here you know and that's then there's right. stuff everywhere so that's cool but yeah god just having a door you know that you can close is such a yeah yeah to have the space i understand that and then all of these all of all of this detritus or trash though they're kind of imbued with all of the all the conviviality that happened when you're with these people. And if it's a, if it's a space that you haven't had access to for a while, those things are charged and they're yeah. not just trash. They're sort of like remnants of stuff that you didn't get to do for a long time because you didn't have the physical space to actually do it in. Yeah. You, in your bio, I've seen a couple times this phrase um, that some of your work has to do with the earnest rights of mm -hmm. suburban occult. And I, that also really grabbed me. Could you tell me what are I kind of imagining stuff, but what is an earnest right of suburban occult? I think like at first, like when I was a kid, I have this memory of being like nine and just like hated. I hated going to school so, 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 so much. Um, and, you know, it was in Utah. And so we had like snow days were a thing that you would get there. And yeah, yeah. Had those in Michigan too. Yeah. Um, and so I just like had it fixated i think it's like i don't know these weird like fixations that are coping mechanisms like fixated in my head that like i had these like white marbles and like just like you know marble mar like glass marbles um that you know if i like i just focused on them right and like i arranged them correctly in my room that i could like conjure a snow day to not have to go to school yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think That's like great. like there's like since like what i love in a way about utah is like amidst amidst like the sprawling you know suburban car culture 
of it, there's like these weird sort of like destination spots. There's like, there's a place that I haven't been back to Utah in a minute, but I hope and pray is still there that I think is called Spooks. That is this like goth consignment store that just is like tucked away. You would never know. And this like, you know, this like weird strip mall and they have just like all these weird like fashions. And I remember I was thinking of you because they have this like, they have this little diorama, this like little tiny cube diorama of, um, oh shit, I can't think of her name now. The wrecking ball lady, Miley Cyrus. Miley? <laughs> but it's like a cockroach. It's like a little tiny cockroach dressed up like Miley Cyrus riding on what? a wrecking ball and like swinging wow. around in there. And it's just this like magical, Levels, like again, man. like so much better than a lot of art. <laughs> this like weird yeah. Miley Cyrus cockroach wrecking ball diorama. And. That is like, that's just so amazing that it's like you become attuned to a space enough to know, like, because you're never going to go there unless you're really trying to, like, get outside the beaten path. So those are these sort of, like, transcendent experiences that, like, lurk in those suburban contexts. And I think only in suburban contexts, at least, you know, I haven't lived a lot of places, so I don't know what, like, you know, Chicago or New York or whatever are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's what so many artists are trying to rip off, too. That's interesting. mm -hmm. Just these kind of, like these weird little things. And I, I don't know if you can see, I didn't do this on purpose, but my hat that I'm wearing is from Utah. <gasps> I can't from, see uh, it. It's cropped, but I think it's from, yeah, it's from a um, monument Valley or something. But, but that made me think, yeah, these kind of like these rituals or these kind of things that we do to try to conjure or, or repel or something. It reminds me, I used to have um, a, uh, like a, an, not an animated book, but a picture book of uh, when I was a little kid and I was really into the Lord of the Rings. I had this really beautifully illustrated book of The Hobbit and I was just scared shitless of Gollum <laughs> in it, like so afraid. And I had this ritual before I went to bed to try to do, you know, the opposite of conjuring. I was trying to repel and protect myself and I would stack like books in order of heaviness on top of this very thin illustrated hobbit book to sort of contain Gollum. Yeah. And in like my, in my like, you know, seven-year-old brain, this was like a purely logical thing because I I didn't totally believe that he was going to come out of the book, but it was like a pretty good just in case, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that isn't that kind of, I mean, that's religion, you know, just in case. (laughs) I was like (laughs) kind of doing that, but yeah, it's it's weird how a lot of art practices kind of co-opt the again the earnestness of those kind of suburban rituals that kind of have this occult flavor to them or or weirdness um, as as something that's kind of like I don't know, like punk or whatever it's supposed to be in art, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean it's you know you hear people say so often they're in some roadside flea market in the middle of who knows where and just the way that the person who runs the flea market has chosen to stack things is just aesthetically more sound and compelling than most sculpture that they've seen you know Mm -hmm. like i've seen people use the hashtag better than sculpture of just kind of (laughs) ad hoc things that have been put together by people that just have a natural eye that's better than most artists so it's kind of yeah, I guess that does. Okay, I'm glad I asked that because I was like, what the hell are Ernest Rites of Suburban Occult? Yeah. Now I find out that I'm doing them in Northern Michigan to ward off the golem. <laughs> you too. You too are a wizard. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know, like like I was saying earlier, it took me a long time to kind of decode from 
from the art educational experiences that I've had or not decode, like deprogram, I guess is what I mean, because like there's so much like, you know, material A plus, you know, signifier B plus, you know, mode of display C equals, you know, one increment of art. And, you know, it does, it does become (laughs) very, (laughs) very formulaic, very algebraic um, way that like, I don't know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that I see uh, that don't exist in that, context are yeah like you're saying just inherently more like vital because people bring their earnestness people bring their like their own level of care to it that doesn't exist otherwise level of investiture yeah um so i guess the the last thing that i wanted to ask was now that you've kind of um i'm looking at my notes here and i wrote down now that you've unearthed the work for utopia without you and (laughs) that was not that was not an intentional usage but i kind of feel like unearthed is i that was some subconscious thing that i I use that verb, but I I like it. I think you did kind of unearth this work um, and you put it out into the world. I'm, I'm wondering if you, you know, uh, people get done with art shows or bodies of work and Mm -hmm. they have a whole spectrum of kind of emotional feelings afterwards. Do you, do you have any closure with the uh, ideas that you were working with um, in that, you know, the next undertaking is going to be dramatically different or do you feel like there's a lot more to uncover and you're just kind of scratching the surface of where this stuff is going to go? Um, I don't think anything really got solved. I think, um, you know, I don't know, like for me, it's all just you like... You did deprogram from art school just by <laughs> saying, just by being like, nope, nothing got solved. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank great. you. That means, yeah, that no, means that's a lot. amazing. It's, it's an <laughs> honest answer. It's like a really honest and serious thoughtful answer thank you (laughs) yeah i mean like it's just all very much the way that i try to like make sense of the world doing these like weird things um and so it's just always a process or like you know anything just makes more makes more questions or whatever so i need to i don't know keep figuring that stuff out because there's like like I feel like so mealy mouthed in a big way. I'm just like, oh well, I'm ambivalent about this and that, and so I think I want to, you know, chase down some of those ambivalences more and like keep working with other people is always important to me. Like figuring out collaborations for like new ways to get at meaning. But um, the next stuff that I'm doing is like all around, um, or like at least using as a departure point, like Nightcore as uh as like a sort of organizing point which is like a kind of music from the internet that is just like regular music but faster it's like pitch shifted and it's like sped up or whatever so i guess i'm just sort of thinking about the needs of like i don't know having to like reuse a lot of old work to like be remotely economically viable and like what does that mean Mm. or what is that like how can one kind of like relive a past experience in an accelerated way to refer back to it and then like I don't know. I think there's something too in like, I like to listen to Nightcore, but then like, and so that drudges up all the like, the the wistfulness of, you know, Rage Against the Machine that that had yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, you sent me the, you sent me Killing <laughs> in the Name of, and <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it did, it did drag up a lot of stuff. <laughs> Just kind of, I mean, like where, you know, like where, where I was as a person at the time of that, but then also at the same time it had this, it is just a material that is super, that I'm very familiar with. It's a song mm-hmm. I've heard of hundred thousand times or yeah. never, not that many, but you know, but, but something about that, just that mini change of intentionality, you know, which mm-hmm. probably honestly took 
whoever did it, I don't know, 45 seconds in audacity, <laughs> honestly, to just yeah, be like, yeah. I'm going to speed this song up 30%. But just the gesture and like how much it changes something, then listening to it and hearing Zach De La Roca be like, <laughs> kill it in the name of. <laughs> it's just like, this is amazing. It's like really into it. But it, but yeah, it's, it's using, using past things and being economical to make something new. I, I, I liked that about it when you, sent that to me yeah and then it just makes i don't know i have a lot of complex feelings because like i try to then go back and like listen to regular rage against the machine which i really liked <laughs> once upon a time but now it just feels like too angry so i like transmuting zach de la roca into like hatsune miku essentially and that's really <laughs> satisfying but then it's also there's a layer of it too that's not just about like the you know the like masculinity of the music but that's just about like all the music under the under like once you once you listen to the nightcore version of anything you go and you try to listen to the original again and it just seems like slow and predictable and stupid yeah and there's sludgy yeah it's like all (laughs) dipped in molasses and kind of like man why don't you all play faster (laughs) (laughs) like yes beauty i know i get it move along go for it yeah but that'll be cool are you gonna nightcore your own art how does that work uh i might i'm gonna make like definitely gonna make like a nightcore playlist um and then you know aesthetically nightcore the work in the sense that i'll just like bring a lot of older stuff together and just like cram it really densely um you know probably doing the thing that you lauded me for about not just like throwing stuff around a gallery but no do that and fall, <laughs> fall into that trap well you and didn't then I do did it this... last time so do it this time <laughs> yeah right let, let myself have it just a little gift for me um and then i did this piece recently in tulsa where i had these like shaker spirituals playing as part of this like weird little monument and so i might night some shaker spirituals all right that, yeah that seems <laughs> righteous to me and i don't have any compunction about taking their music so yeah no i think yeah. you're probably fine there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're not gonna come for me yeah. you're gonna get canceled <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god well yeah oh man well that sounds really cool well, i'm i'm glad i mean it sounds like it sounds like you're i mean the show just we were we were emailing about setting this up while the show's up but it just mm-hmm. closed like a couple weeks ago right or like a week ago yeah at the time that we're recording i don't this remember or i have a bad memory like the 13th well, i think very, is when it closed. yeah very recently okay so yeah. we're like less than two weeks ago this thing mm-hmm. um closed down so it's it's cool to hear that you are on to the next one um or at least thinking about that because yeah I, I myself uh, am very prone to the kind of, um, you know, what people refer to as kind of like the postpartum depression of kind mm. of putting art out. You finish this thing and then it's just kind of like, oh, God, what now? Like, I don't, so I'm I'm happy to hear that you are already kind of you already have the wheels in motion <laughs> on the next thing. Um, yeah, no, I have to keep that depression away. I do that exact same thing. So it's just like this like manic so Nightcore is good for that. That's another reason Nightcore is good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm the Nightcore evangelist. <laughs> oh, man. And then you could do, if you do an exhibition, just do it, um, make the exhibition 30% faster. So instead of running it for like six weeks, <laughs> run it for like, run it for four and a half or whatever. Yes. <laughs> do, it for, do it for 31 days instead of like 44 <laughs> i don't know um well tabby thank you so much for taking the time out to do this it was uh a real pleasure getting to talk to you about your show um i will i'll snag some 
uh, I'll get some image files from you for some of the stuff that we talked mm-hmm. about so that I can put it in the blog post um, and also uh, link to the site in the event that somebody uh, would like to get one of those uh, additioned video game pieces, which I would recommend doing. Yeah. I would highly recommend that anybody get one of Tabitha Nikolai's works because I have a Tabitha Nikolai fox capacitor in my home and I love it. It keeps the... <laughs> It keeps the fucks going. Um, cool. Well, Tabby, once again, thank you so much. Uh, thank really you, appreciate Sean. you spending the time to everybody out there. Thanks again so much. And we will catch you next week. Bye. Light of dragon, soar in the purple light, in the sky, or in my mind, light of dragon. Catch the wind